passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Everybody and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock, joined by Waiting. Waiting, a pleasure doing business with you. <laughs> yes, it was me. I did this to you. Well, it was so the the indication at the end, at least from the announcers, is folks, this is not the devil. This yeah. man is working with the devil. We are mm-hmm. we have not we have not uh popped that champagne bottle yet. The, the devil still is at large. Correct, but we uh, Joe is taking a lot of credit for a lot that's happened to Max. So yes, he is. we do have we do have a pay per view match to to build up to. So let's give him at least a you know, good. How many weeks do they have until the pay per view? <laughs> mm, three days. <laughs> Excuse me. I mean, it, it was all leading up to this. I you know it was. It? I mean, could it have been revealed? the week prior i mean i don't know i don't know oh, I, I really don't have an issue with that with the timing of it i think that is going to be the most divisive part of tonight's episode of dynamite is mm-hmm. the closing minutes of the show uh whether you had shot this angle weeks ago when they had promoted this match and max had the injury or on the go home show i don't it's more so the substance and not the timing but all of that to come but we have a busy night here at post wrestling so sit back it is a double header tonight we are going to go through dynamite and then in about an hour or so we are going to be flipping on over to the post wrestling cafe for our review of the iron claw so way and i both now had a chance to see the film and we will be sharing our thoughts and also taking some of your feedback that has been posted on the forum so again dynamite like usual for everybody and then once we finish up we're going to flip on over for cafe members to join us live for the double shot and a review of the iron claw. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, um, we do the double shots once in a while, I guess when, you know, there's something to talk about. We last did it for dark side of the ring. And uh, I guess tonight, this was one of the few times we could fit it in. So join us in the post wrestling cafe right after we're done here on rewind to dynamite on the free feeds. 
And uh, while we're on the subject of the Von Erics, I've, I've written a pretty extensive history of world-class championship wrestling and the Von Erics, and that is up on the site for everyone if you want to go check it out. And there will be an audio version uh, that I've been working on feverishly throughout the day that will be released Thursday afternoon for everybody. So uh, you can check that out, whether you would like to read the story or uh, listen to the audio, and there will be uh, some production elements uh, to the to the audio documentary side but uh, that is up on the site as we speak fantastic job from you john honestly i i mean um this was really no holiday for you you know somehow 4700 words coming out of you uh excellently researched and i found it to be a, a fantastic supplement to the movie itself i mean a lot of people might have seen it this past week and i think a lot of people might also be asking well what what exactly is different about the movie from maybe what happened in real life this i thought was like a pretty good summary of everything that at least to i'm sure your knowledge um is accurate about the timeline i've tried to imagine the I would assume this is like a decent percentage of people, just your average movie going people that watch this movie, maybe heard some reviews about it, were curious, are familiar with, you know, pro wrestling and watch this. And I couldn't imagine like the story is not a gripping one. And then you go home and look up more and you would just be in shock at what more there is to the story and what was uh anyway we are now doing the second show before the first show but uh, we will share more of our thoughts all of that can be found up on the website uh but let us uh jump right into things way we have some news items before dynamite first of all a congratulations to gunther who is capping off a remarkable professional year with a tremendous uh personal note uh with his wife Ginny, the the former wrestler uh having a child today uh they had a son so i guess this would have made sense why gunther is uh off for a couple of weeks as they explained recently on raw so congratulations to the couple and uh quite the year for this man very much so i mean you know i i mean i think last year he was already doing tremendously well but this year you can argue was maybe more of like a you know turn to turn like january to january breakout for him um and it looks to be you know even more promising in 2024 so a lot of great things for this person and uh congratulations to the both of them when does the son get his first pair of loafers sockless loafers oh like a uh walter's uh or gunther's uh go home uh attire when he will dress up for his uh go home promo those maybe like a cute little trench coat onesie perhaps possible possible. can you imagine like gunther those hands changing diapers can you imagine that oh yeah i mean man's uh you know you you just start from scratch when uh (laughs) you you got the baby every everything that is old is now new again yeah MLW put out a a statement um, regarding the WWE settlement and uh, Kasowitz Benson Torres on behalf of professional wrestling company MLW Media has reached a settlement with WWE over MLW's antitrust and state law claims against WWE for monopolizing and attempting to monopolize the market for the sale or licensing of media rights for professional wrestling programming in the United States. On December 22nd, MLW filed a stipulation and proposed order of dismissal of its lawsuit against WWE with the U.S. District Court in in the Northern District of California, notifying the court that the parties have entered into a settlement agreement. So the only difference is when we previously spoke of this, there was a pending settlement that they were still uh, finalizing. Now it is done. The case is over. We can make a natural assumption that MLW is getting some something of note uh, for this um, as a result of the settlement to make this problem go away for the WWE. And, you know, this is, you know, we, we, 
it was natural to make some of the comparisons. Could this blossom into something as much of a thorn in the side as the UFC antitrust case has? But it, it's not going to get anywhere near uh, that level for WWE that is cutting this out before it became a big issue of discovery. And we're getting into emails, which if you're following the UFC antitrust case, I mean, every day there are new emails being uncovered business practices i mean we are getting a full deep look into the ufc's terms of business and how they have uh how they have run their business and you have to imagine that wwe they just um thought enough was enough and let's let's cut this off now before and i'm sure this was getting very very costly on the mlw side too so when uh, I, I guess we'll see if it, if it was a significant amount, WWE may have to disclose it, but we also may never know the amount that um, is being exchanged here or if there's anything else beyond just financial figures. Was this a result you might have expected when this whole thing began? Did you think it would go this far? I always look at these cases as a settlement being the likely outcome. I still don't think it's a guarantee that the UFC is going to go to trial in April. I just feel um, that's always got to be expected, no matter how strong a case there is, no matter how long these things drag out. I mean, sometimes when you like Martha Hart, for instance, like that was like she was adamant. It was not about money that she was fighting over. Like she wanted to have her case in court. And at a certain point, like her legal team, when they got a, a settlement offer was like, listen, this, I know that you are fighting this noble cause for your husband and to get his story out. When we are in these deep waters, it's only about money. And the faster you realize that, the faster you will understand that if you get something that you can walk away with, create something in his memory, which they did with the Owen Hart Foundation, that is probably the best case scenario. Like this is not where you go to have, you know, moral moral justice that i mean it's it's great if you can achieve that but more often than not these cases it just comes down to what is the price to make this go away and and how strong um your opposition is and the case that they have together so um that that is that for mlw in the in the meantime cm punk had his first match inside of a wwe ring in nearly a decade on tuesday night at madison square garden wrestle ticks reporting 15,831 tickets distributed and Sean Ross Sapp over at Fightful reporting that this was said to be the highest grossing domestic non-televised event ever for a WWE event. And a Brandon Thurston noting that prior to last night, we don't know what the gate figure is, but the last uh, record house for MSG for a non-televised event from Polestar was uh, just over $769,000. So we're talking high six figures that this event would have generated and uh, that record was set all the way back in 2018. So for those curious, the tickets that were out when Punk was announced was around 11,000. So they almost got to 16 here, according to WrestleTix. Wow. Did you get to see the match as uh, clips were circulating? And mm -hmm. uh, what did you think of CM Punk and Dominic Mysterio? A very uh, a very house show match. Um, I thought it was a perfectly like good and acceptable match for a man's first return in a house show setting. I, I wasn't expecting, you know, an exhaustive sort of like, you know, four, four and a half star level classic between the two. I thought it was more than appropriate because you want to be somewhat conservative, you know, given that this, this is a person who hasn't wrestled in a long time. Um, you also don't want to risk any injuries because we know that that um, no, they that, were, they that were not risking be. anything in this one. I mean, it was uh, okay. The high spot is I'm going to take a six one nine. 
And when the crowd is that hot already, I, you don't need to, you know, take this might have been the easiest crowd that Punk has worked in front of in uh, the longest time. I mean, they mm-hmm. were it, it wasn't as though it was like the vociferous booze that I was expecting for Dom. But watching Punk, I mean, this was like everything was slower, like and not even in a bad way, but just in the like everything he was just drawing out for maximum reaction. And the audience mm-hmm. was giving it to them. I mean there was the clip going around like they did have some timing problems it wasn't the smoothest match but this was i mean a crowd that just they wanted to see phil brooks do a 10 minute match and they were they were into everything that this guy did and i imagine they're gonna have the same match in uh california on saturday night as well but yeah Mm -hmm. to your point it it was not like uh punk was uh busting out any like springboards or uh taking any unnecessary risk here I, I think for a WWE audience, especially at a house show level, I mean, they're a lot more forgiving. They're not necessarily looking for, you know, high work rate. And on a show uh, or at least like on a roster where like, you know, the, the, a, a WWE might not be as known for, you know, like the independent wrestling style that might be a lot more risk taking a lot might be a lot more kind of physically taxing. I, I think it's what he showed was perfectly fine. Yeah, I mean, it is a big difference between the, the two companies and that like WWE, they they have their big matches as well. But yeah, to your point here, like this match was th- this crowd seemed to be totally into this match. And I, I could only imagine this match playing on a dynamite, like even a Brian Danielson and an Eddie Kingston tonight that we're going to talk about. I mean, in in, in a week, we're not going to be talking about that match. Like mm-hmm. it's it's sort of where where both are and the setting of which you get these matches and what what the palette is for your various fan bases that said expectations will be different once you know you they, they get into maybe some um more more like the juicier uh, like pay-per-view level matchup certainly the match with seth i think will we'll have a lot of expectations for a seth rollins level type of main event and especially if it's at the wrestlemania you know um, that, that certainly will but when we think about like the rumble match it's it's sort of like that's not right. there to be like this this show stealing mm-hmm. match. That's there for more booking purposes. And then you would think he's on the Australia show in 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 February as well. Like we might not see like a televised singles match with Punk until we get to Rollins. It's it's hard to imagine they would keep him off uh, wrestling on television until then. But even so, I could see them putting him in six mans or tags on Raw, and the first big singles match might be Rollins uh, or at least the February pay per view. I think the goal for the WWE right now is to use him very strategically. He still feels incredibly fresh and you can peak to several, you know, big ratings by promoting his first TV match, um, his first six men, his first whatever. You know, you want to get as much mileage out of this person while he's new, while he's still, I don't know, um, under good standing. I would say not just with the with the audience, but with the company as well. Um and you also want to minimize those injury risks. So I, I, I'm sure he's being encouraged not to, to do any crowd dives, which I, I don't think he did on the weekend. Tonight, um, you know, business is very strong for these um, traditionally big house shows for WWE. Tonight, they have split crews in Boston uh, with, again, WrestleTix noting uh, over 9,600 tickets out for that show, as well as Detroit tonight, over 8,100. Thursday night, they have a show in Laval, Quebec, and Houston. Friday, it's in Toronto and Las Vegas. And Saturday, it's the lone show at the Kia Forum in Inglewood with CM Punk and Dominic Mysterio. So some pretty big live events. And then they're going into San Diego on Monday. And they are very much hyping up their shows for Monday, Tuesday, and Friday next week with the the New Year's, what is it, New Year's Knockout Week or some moniker that they have tagged on. Not really following. Hmm. Well, um, Chris Jericho was uh, ringing in Christmas morning online and, you know, I, 
I, I seldom give advice to people out there, but if it's four in the morning, I wouldn't be tweeting a lawyer. I, I don't know if that would be my, my target, but he, uh, he did uh, address Stephen New, who is the lawyer that is representing, or at least was representing CM Punk and Ace Steel in the whole uh, post brawl out. You're familiar with brawl outway? I, th- I think I've heard of it. Yes. This is an incident that happened in uh, September of 2022. And so uh, Stephen knew he has done a few interviews that we we've mentioned on the show. He did one with a uh, wrestling with Rip Rogers. He did one. Um, he's done a handful of interviews and he has mentioned the fact that there were NDAs signed and uh, a site aggregated this story. And Jericho responded, noting, I didn't sign an NDA. And Stephen knew responded to this stating it's in your employee handbook unless you have a special one. And Jericho's response, uh, again, this was at uh, on Christmas morning. Hey, Stephen P. New, I don't adhere to an employee handbook and have never had one in four years of working for AEW. I've also never signed an NDA in my life ever. So stop trying to be a bully and making egotistical fantasy brags for your clients and start doing some research before you make blanket statements about your buddies. Because I saw everything that night, including how Lucy and her husband and best buddy acted and what really went down. And since I was in the room and watching her and everybody else the whole time, I know exactly what really happened. And considering you weren't there and I was, maybe you should shut your mark ass up because what really went down was disgusting. So obviously the man has not signed uh, an NDA as evidenced by this message. And it would seem that um, this book will never close on this incident. And this was just the latest rehashing of it. Um, Maybe just, you know, the interesting note of, I guess, with with uh, Jericho being so brazen here to um, put this out there um, that if, if I was AEW, I, I would be furious that this is once again resurfacing. And the fact is that we have someone that is stating that they were an eyewitness that saw it all. And that would at least place him and Lucy Guy as two people without NDAs that would be, in theory, free to speak about this. Hmm. I'm sorry. I, I I just I don't know what what more can really be said about this. I mean, I, ultimately, yes, we we do maybe want as much of a of a first hand account as I think that you know we can get we we the public I should say you know um of something like this. And I don't know if it's a, a story that um we'll ever not be curious about. Um, you know what is like what is sort of like the the follow follow up course of action? I mean, is it up to the next person who gets Chris Jericho in an interview to just explicitly say, "Hey, can you tell us what happened? Why hasn't anybody done that?" Yeah. Well, I think it's more so just like this is the incident AEW cannot escape and and get away from. Mm-hmm. And I'd be uh, frankly like I, I'd be really frustrated if if I was Tony Khan and I'm waking up on Christmas and this is my crisis. I'm dealing with of one of my key people that is just online and also making it clear that there's nothing withholding me from speaking about this incident beyond my, my own desire to. Yeah. I hate to say it. And you know that Tony Khan will be out. Tony Khan is doing his media call tomorrow. I'm sure this will come up at some point about it. And I think something that's kind of illuminating right now in, in talking about this after the last story that we just talked about is the fact that it's it's on the same weekend within like you know 24 hours of each other you are seeing somebody like a Chris Jericho and AEW still very much consumed with something like this and CM Punk is winning he is not 
in any way addressing the situation. He's moved on. He's helping bring the WWE to um, some some big, big numbers. Um, and I, I just feel like at the end of the year, I, I certainly didn't kind of see this, you know, and maybe it does call into question. OK, now that he's within the WWE, how how free is CM Punk, you know, to tweet in this manner on a whim? You know, versus maybe this the freedom like like uh, that a Chris Jericho might enjoy to to be able to essentially ch- just kind of call his own shots um, with his own PR, uh, even though it might be detrimental to to the company. Um, I I don't know. There there are certainly a lot of questions, and I think there still remains a lot of questions about maybe um, <sighs> the good and the bad of the, of the freedoms that perhaps you know uh, an AEW talent like a Chris Jericho might be able to enjoy. No, I I would think like there's a, there's a natural question though like is this violating a, a policy of you know speaking about internal matters that I mean we could bang our head against the wall at Tony Khan's absolute desire to not talk about this subject so you know that this is not something um, he wants to be seeing out there um, but I mean at, at the same time like I'm I'm not going to fault a guy for just speaking his mind openly at, mm. at the same time as well it's more so like it you certainly have to understand like this is the the story that just will not die. And this is not as much on, you know, the other side of the fence. Like this is from internally your, your people that are fanning the flames and keeping this going, giving it another resuscitation in the news cycle. Let's anything else on the, uh, on the tweet front. I mean, it's, it's just kind of a weird thing, isn't it? You know, the more um, people talk about it, the, the more, um, I don't know, in, in interest there is. And I, I suppose um, ignoring it is is difficult. Now, I think we, we should also state, this is Chris Jericho's website that he was like ag- uh, the aggregator, right? Web is Jericho. Yeah, I, I, I don't quite like know what his connection is to this site. If he's like, if he owns it, if he runs it, I'm just, I, I just don't know what the connection is uh, with, with this. Okay. Um, but yeah, well, it is a, it, it is a like, a well-known aggregation site. Web. So it just might've been his own way of like, I, I don't know, like, you know, putting a, putting a bit of extra press towards his own website. And I, I don't necessarily know if it came at, um, he could do many like, things to put attention. Yeah. On. Web is Jericho. I don't know if that would have been my, you know, it's, uh, it's four in the morning, you know, what could use some, some traffic. My, uh, web is Jericho. I got a great idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. SmackDown ratings from Friday night. This was the tape show that did not suffer too much numbers wise. 2,108,000 viewers down 6% and a 0.55 in the demo, which was basically even from the week prior. So only a three week low for viewership. And, um, you know, it's a standard number for SmackDown. I would think, say, all things considered for a tape show that you're pretty much even with, with the next week, if not like slightly, slightly down in viewership. Rampage that same night had a big boost with 363,000 viewers and a 0. 0.10 in the 18 to 49 demo. So they were up 18% in viewership, 25% in the demo. Now they were coming off their second lowest demo number ever in their regular time slot. So the improvement, 25% sounds big, but they were also coming off a terrible number. But nonetheless, their largest Rampage audience since October the 13th. And uh, adults 18 to 34 were up 73% this week. So um, quite the, uh, the, the, uh, the rebound for that demo. This had um, the highest viewership of the show per WrestleNomics was the opener with Orange Cassidy and Rocky Romero. But the highest in the demo was the main event with Vikingo and Black Taurus. So um Rampage and Collision, which we'll get into here, both like 
two month highs for for the shows. And um, this week, it's interesting because you don't have a collision. So they actually got to promote Rampage in in like the big, hey, the next show that we're going to run down, it's Rampage as opposed to Collision and Rampage. It felt less of an afterthought tonight on, on the show. And it's well, you do have I was going to say there's less content this weekend. There's actually more content with a pay-per-view on Saturday. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I'm sure many people are thinking, you know what? If I'm going to spend five hours on Saturday, this is the week I'm going to spend 60 more minutes on, on Rampage. I don't think we could ever have enough. No. Collision on Saturday, 489,000 viewers and a 0.16 in the demo. So their largest number since October 21st. Um, big jump with women 18 to 49 and 18 to 34 from the week prior. And this had the final Blue League round robin matches and Thunder Thunder Rosa's return in San Antonio. So this was a, a good number for Collision. And then the best of Raw on Monday Nightway, we asked, would this hit a million viewers? The answer was, it did not. 698,000 viewers and a 0.27. So to compare it last year, there was a best of Raw, but that was on Boxing Day, which now the entire world is very familiar with Boxing Day. Um, last year, they did, uh, well, they were down 35% from last year, 32% in the demo. So this was, I mean, a meaningless number. They were also going against... The second largest Monday night football game since 1996 with the Ravens and 49ers doing 27.2 million viewers between ABC, ESPN Plus and ESPN Deportes. Were you watching this game on Monday night? I was not, nor was I watching the best of Raw on Monday either. No, can't Um, tell you a thing about the best of Raw on Monday night. But this was this was their throw in the towel week. They threw it in. And uh, my question to you, Way, is when the dynamite number comes out, will we get one headline out there somewhere? Uh, <laughs> dynamite beats Raw. Um, I I don't. It, it, if it did happen, I don't think anybody would um take it seriously. That that wouldn't be much of a brag. So, I I it, I feel yeah. I I mean I feel like this is a chance for them to experiment with the format for next year. I mean, you could do a best of, yes, you need a clip show, but I mean, why not, why not have fun with it? Why not like give me a full episode of like, um, bring back, what, what was that called? Uh, uh, Southern championship wrestling. What was the thing that they did? The, the, the series of sketches. Oh, the, um, yeah, the, whatever. Give me one of those. Just come on, take some time off. Like, you know, go into a studio, go to the performance center and just give me like a whole two hours of just like, out of a non-canon just wildness you know something pre-taped and just to get to give me an excuse to to perhaps tune in if, if i happen to be there well next year the shoe is on the other foot because christmas day is on wednesday next year Ooh, interesting okay yes let's and let's not forget that could be the final dynamite on tbs if they happen to sign elsewhere mm-hmm so the, well, that, maybe an excuse to throw in the towel then, if if that's the case. Maybe they will just put on um, the best of the the devil's masked men after their reign of terror <laughs> yes. in 2024. Yeah, every segment. Uh, thank you, Brian South Paul Regional Wrestling. How could I forget? All right. Um, last things here before we get to Dynamite. There's several shows coming up over the next few hours of note. Uh, All Japan has a show that is coming up in uh, just over an hour at uh, Yoyogi National gymnasium and it is headlined by katsuhiko nakajima and kento miyahara for the triple crown which is an interesting match because nakajima could be losing the triple crown we don't know what his tenure is with all japan if he is sticking around if he's going elsewhere but 
it's possible you could have Miyahara uh, win back the title here. Regardless, the winner will be defending against Charlie Dempsey on January the 3rd next week at Corakuen Hall. There's also the return of Shotaro Oshino as he's teaming with T-Hawk. Um, he's been out since breaking his forearm back at the carnival in May. There is also uh, L. Lindemann defending the junior heavyweight title against Dan Tamora and Jun Saito versus Ray Saito, the battle of the world tag team champions. And another return on this show is Davy Boy Smith Jr., who has been out for three months with diverticulitis. And he is coming back, teaming with Minoru Suzuki and Hokuto Omori against Hideki Suzuki, Hikaru Sato, and Suwama. So if we're comparing diverticulitis recoveries, uh, he missed three months with diverticulitis. And not all diverticulitis sigh or no, or but I mean, just in, in terms of, you know, for, for a pro wrestling uh, return, I mean, yeah, not all diverticulitis uh, uh, conditions are, are equal, but mm-hmm. um, regardless, uh, something similar there. And then stardom. Is, they is have it their just big... the, the meat in Canada that's affecting all these Canadians and with, with their diverticulitis? What's going on? Brock. Um, Davey yeah. Boy, when when, when you think about it, Vince huh. has had it. I mean, yeah, it's not not so much a Canadian Vince, but all right. Are you are you trying to say we should we should cut back on meat? You and I M- maybe maybe uh, uh, more salad in our diets necessary. Right. Uh, finally, stardom. They are at uh, Sumo Hall. This will be happening early Thursday morning, three a.m. Eastern. It's a pay per view, but then we'll be appearing on Stardom World. Uh, the main event is Suzu Suzuki, who won the five star Grand Prix, taking on Micah, and this is to determine the new World of Stardom champion after Tam Nakano had to vacate the title, one of many women that have been injured over the last couple of months. And we also have uh, Mirai defending the Wonder of Stardom title against Sari Anu. And Mirai has been champion since July. Julia is taking on Megan Bain. Utami Hayashita and Saya Kamatani are defending the goddesses of stardom titles against Natsuko Tora and Momo Watanabe. They just won the belts a few weeks ago. So most likely I would, I would see them holding on. And Mayui Watani is coming back from injury. She has been out since early November. Uh, she will be teaming with uh, Saya Ida, Hanan, and Hazuki, uh, taking on Starlight Kid, Ruka, Rina, and Fukujin death. So that is coming up. Karen Peterson will be covering the show for the site. So you can uh, get all of that as there's a ton of big Japanese shows over the next week between all Japan, stardom, Noah, uh, new Japan has a little show coming up next week. Uh, everyone is uh, running, running big as Japan is, uh, this is, this is the week to go to Japan. If you are seeking out pro wrestling, got my packs, uh, bags packed. Let's go. Well, let's go to Orlando, Florida, the addition financial arena for tonight's New Year's Smash edition of Dynamite. 5,288 tickets out per WrestleTix, and we are getting right into the Gold League final with Swerve Strickland, Jay White, and John Moxley. And Tony Schiavone plugs the pay-per-view coming up Sunday night, and Excalibur does the like professional broadcaster correction where he's not just, oh, Tony, it's actually on Saturday. Instead, he just picks up from Tony and just does a natural plug Coming up Saturday on the pay-per-view to hopefully it registers. Then Tony Schiavone plugs it a second time on Sunday. And this time both him and Taz are like, it's on Saturday. You can show up on Sunday if you'd like. But uh, Schiavone, I think this man might have been showing up on New Year's Eve to Long Island. I'm sure it's confusing. I'm sure they have to, you know, coordinate with their own. He probably thought we were doing collision. (laughs) 
Yeah. So the match begins. Uh, they go into the crowd. Moxley is seated in a chair, drilled by this running knee from Swerve. And then Jay White chop blocks the previously injured knee of John Moxley that he he worked on last week in their match. And we get Swerve going for a Fosbury flop, nearly lands on his feet when White gets out of the way. And the audience, certainly like you had your, your cheers for John Moxley, but this audience was behind Swerve Strickland. And that just mm-hmm. grew and grew throughout the match. And Swerve goes to the top, slips, regains his footing, hits a big high cross to the floor. Moxley is out of the match for a while, selling his knee. And then they'd exchange where Jay White was selling for a time. They go to the timekeeper's table and Jay White shows up and nails Moxley's knee with a chair. And because it's a triple threat, no DQs. So they can just use endless weapons. Uh, The three are standing. They're all trading. Um, Swerve stops a Blade Runner. Then the JML driver gets blocked. And then it's a Blade Runner hit to Moxley. And we think he's going to fall to the move for a second week in a row. But Swerve breaks it up. White comes back with more chair shots to both men. And then he sets up the chair in the corner. Swerve reverses, sending Jay White into it. And then it's Moxley with the choke on Swerve and this crowd. They are so amped for Swerve to win after he gets a a roll-up counter and nearly catches Moxley. They're trading strikes. And then the JML driver is stopped when Moxley bites the hand of Swerve. White then shoves Swerve off of the top when he's going for the stomp. And it's left to White and Moxley where the Blade Runner gets blocked. Big inside-out lariat and a Death Rider as Moxley pins Jay White in 23 minutes and 15 seconds. And in both uh, matches that we got tonight, rare cases where we got two picture in picture breaks. So, and mm-hmm. two of the longer matches in quite a period of time on dynamite. Deserving. I mean, considering they're the finals, you know, so I thought it was a, a great match. Um, I thought it was a match that really showcased a lot of the strengths of the three-way dance, great pace of action. There was never a dull moment throughout the entire thing. And I thought some really excellent coordination between the three men in sequences that involved everybody. I thought Swerve, like uh, like you said, John, was the biggest baby face here. Uh, even above John Moxley, he was the one that the crowd seemed to want to win the most. And, you know, um, he's been excellent for a long, long time. But because um, now he's actually over, and especially as a baby face, Everybody is reacting that much more to the creativity and the fluidity that he exhibits in the ring. That seems that feels very unique from for, from a lot of other people on this company. So it's great to see that you know his in ring is being appreciated a lot more now that his character is as over as it is. They protected him by not having him get pinned. Uh, I really feel this tournament has been a wonderful sort of follow up for him coming off the momentum off the Hangman Page match. It, it really has like taken him to a next lo- to the next level and has very organically converted him into being a very successful babyface. I thought Jay White was utilized very well in this match too. Um, I you know I don't know how many instances you might have seen him in three way dances, but I thought he was used really well as like you know first of all the full on heel among the two here, uh, but also his methodical more like you know. Uh, body part focus style along with his explosivity i thought were really well utilized in the match as well so very very good match i thought i i thought this i thought this worked really well i thought in particular the final few minutes but like this was a very tricky handling of swerve strickland in this tournament i think it'd be a big blemish if he wasn't part of the tournament that was going to be all the focus and i think you would have lost that momentum like compare to mm-hmm. hangman page who has been largely absent this last month swerve was the hot hand coming out of full gear you put him in the tournament and i guess your your argument would be of like how far do you want to go with him in this tournament like you could argue should he just win this tournament and and establish this belt but i 
I think that like they have other plans for Swerve. And mm-hmm. the idea was, okay, he has got to lose two matches in this, but how best can he maintain this momentum coming out of it? And just based on the reaction coming out and at the end, like he certainly, I, I still feel has that lightning in a bottle. And, and I certainly wouldn't be playing with that on, on Saturday. I would put him over very strong against Keith Lee. And he didn't get pinned in the final. You you might even wonder if the whole idea for a three-way might have been so that Swerve could make it to the end but not get pinned. I mean, I, I don't know, but I, I'm certainly grateful that they went the three-way route. It, it, it suggests like a different variation from what, what the G1 might present. Um, and overall, I, I, I just think it's been an tr- excellent showcase on TV for Swerve coming off of that match. Then we had a, like, we got this super long match, and then we got almost a half hour of out of the ring activity. We got a collision recap. We go to Shivani, who is with Swerve and Prince Nana, and he says his arm is falling off. He says that he wanted this so badly. The, the Continental Classic is breathing life back in. And then addresses Keith Lee. He needs an opponent on Saturday. And Tony Schiavone says that, well, Keith Lee passed this along to me in case he missed you. And it's a drawn up contract for Saturday. So this Mm. Keith Lee had no faith that this guy was going to win this match and have uh, a (laughs) pre-existing engagement for Saturday night. This was Mm -hmm. quite the convenient uh, contract to have all prepared by Keith Lee. So he never showed up. I thought he was going to be here. No, he wasn't even here. So Swerve says, we'll see if he shows up on Saturday. Like, so he was in story. He was at the building, went to, went to Kinko's to get this contract done on a holiday, no less, probably was just a a zoo. And he gets to the building and says, you know what? I'm not staying for the show here, Tony, just pass this along. I'm, I'm heading home. (laughs) Well, I'd be concerned too. Is this guy going to show up at the pay-per-view? He's going to have to fly all the way to Long Island this weekend. Um, I thought this was like a very good sort of post-match feeling type of um promo from Swerve, and and I, to me, like one of the things that has stood it up at this um tournament is is not just the in ring, but it's the promos that we've been getting between the matches too from all the participants. Um, I think as much as as the in ring has so, sort of shown to be a pretty high standard, the the promos have been as well from everybody involved in this thing. So it would be great to continue to have that be sort of like the one of the emphasized hallmarks of this tournament going forward so that we can you know all look forward to it in the future renee brought out mariah may and she said that last week when she brutally attacked riho she was just supporting tony storm and she's not going to debut this year because 2023 did not have the best energy so she's going to debut next week on the first dynamite of the new year and the crowd boos this and says that 2024 is all about mariah may so Rio comes out, May runs into the ring away from her, and then Storm runs down with the belt, misses Riho, who attacks Storm, but avoids the Tiger faint kick, and then it's Riho with a high cross off the top to both Storm and Luther. Rio takes the belt as Storm is appalled with the over-the-top facial reactions as Rio gains control of the title, which we, we saw several challengers, I guess, uh, take hold of the belt uh, for their, their go-home shot. It's kind of a rite of passage if you're about to challenge for the title. You got to go out there, somehow st- struggle and grab the championship to close the segment. I, I, I mean, a decent little sort of, uh, you know, segment to, to promote this match. There really isn't that much storyline uh, focus on Riho going into this. So the story she, is she is the number one contender. She won yeah, a which, match. Which is often like all you need. But um, even in that department, this feels a bit more lame duck than usual because we 
we just haven't really heard anything from Riho. The focus is on Mariah May and Tony Storm right now. But because Riho is somebody who's so over with these audiences, every instance she's out there, she gets cheered. It works, um, at least, you know, on this level. Um, the match would be really good. I, I look forward to seeing if, like, Tony might have adjusted her in-ring a little bit because if you remember the last pay-per-view match she had, not I good. thought there was a lot of criticism about maybe there being too much gimmick uh, in it and not enough of, like, sort of the, the the Tony Storm work rate that I think we all expect. So I'm curious to see how she might have changed things up. Maybe they'll go back and forth. When Tony is on offense, it'll be in black and white, and when Rio <laughs> takes over, it goes to color. It's going to drive you nuts, I'm sure. Um, it's already getting there where they have to, when they cut back and forth, they they right. switch it. It's it's a lot. Like mm. I, I feel like I'm about to, you know, my head's going to explode. Top flight is with Action Andretti. And they lost to the acclaimed, but there's other trios we can face. And we are issuing a challenge. But before they can say state to who, it's answered by Orange Cassidy with Trent and Rocky Romero, who will see them on Friday. And an Action Andretti chugs a bottle of water and crushes the bottle. Well, he did this in like one second. You know, this is actually a very impressive feat here. And I would maybe contend maybe the most memorable thing Action Andretti has done since he beat Chris Jericho in AEW. Wow. So, the bar I mean, has been set high. He, there was can the you name something else? Chris Jericho. And there was the time he chugged down water. <laughs> all, I'm saying, all I'm saying is the reason they showed this, they're looking for some form of personality for you to be able to draw out of these guys. And I'm sure there's plenty to be had, but we haven't heard much, at least on Dynamite, uh, promo time for for, for the, these few. Um, so you got to hear Darius and, and Dante actually speak on this one. You got to see Action Andretti chug a bottle of water <laughs> really fast. It's at least something. And, and, and they don't certainly need, like they're already great in ring. They just need sort of like to be mo- more well-rounded. And, and this was at least an attempt. Remember in TNA when a fortune got Ric Flair and they got iced. Yeah. Chug down Smirnoff ice. Smirnoff ice. Yeah. Maybe that's, this is going to escalate. He started with water (laughs) and this guy's going to be into hard liquor by two months from now. Oh goodness. Wow. He's going to be a parked Andretti. Christian sits down and he doesn't know who Lexi Nair is, asks where Renee is. And he is waiting on Adam Copeland and do Christian K. I, I thought he was the baby face by the end of it because Dude sat around for about 45 minutes until Adam Copeland showed up. Yeah, I, that would, that like would me make having me wait for some of these phone interviews. <laughs> um, he, who likes to, He's nobody likes patient. Mm-hmm. 45 minutes, a long time. Shane and Nick just, they, they stood the whole time. Back yeah, couldn't get chairs. There's a Miro video. He's questioning what he's doing. He's ready to kill everyone. And wants Andrade, not because he's CJ's client, but because he's an asshole. And their match is official for World's End. Mm-hmm. So after he's he did all that, saying he's not going to to you know uh, attack CJ's cl- client, I guess he said not till the tournament's over. The tournament's over, so he's fair game now. Okay, okay, great. So Makes man, sense. man of his word, who has somehow for months been involved in, I don't know, I. I don't know how to explain this Miro story with, with CJ Perry. Like, can you explain their AEW storyline? Managerial cuck. Um, (laughs) I suppose. I mean, I, 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 that might be as, as you know, best as I could describe it. Um, Well, you keep working on it. (laughs) I don't have the words. 
Shivani is in the ring. It is time for the Boxing Day celebration. Way. Yeah. True holiday for everybody. Amer- Americans yeah. aren't really familiar. I guess they have Black Friday. We we have both, actually. So Yeah. Dude, did you see some of the uh, videos at the Eaton Center on Boxing Day? Like, it looked crazy, dude. Are the deals even that great? Come on. Oh, what, have these people not heard of online shopping? Right. My dad went to a mall yesterday morning. He's like, I went at 9 a.m. I'm like, what What are you doing going to the mall at 9 a.m.? Like the last place I would want to be on Boxing Day. What did he mall. buy? He he actually got a jacket. He got like a really nice like a suit jacket. So, hmm. I mean, he at least got something. I thought he was going to tell me he got like, I don't know, an umbrella. Well, at least he got it. I hope he got a good deal. Okay. He got something. Yes. Yeah. So Shivani brings out the Don Callis family, lots of heat for Don Callis. And there are four paintings that he is going to reveal for his for his family members. The first one is a painting of him as Tupac with powerhouse Hobbs. The next one is him and Takeshita, where Callis is all ripped up. And then there's one of him and Kyle Fletcher beating up kangaroos in Australia. And uh, I would I would assume these are all from a Mel Coleman art, who I think is probably financing herself to her dream home based off of this Don Callis character. As she has now made it just become like the go-to paint deal, painting dealer for, for Don Callis and his angles. A very dis- distinctive style that, that certainly works for these sort of over the top um, paintings. Yes. Sammy Guevara comes out and returns and he comes in. I am just going to profess. Okay. I, I could like skirt around this and, after I figured it out and could just be dishonest with you, but that's not who John Pollock is. You forgot that he was in the Callis family. Not a clue. <laughs> Me too. Okay? I, I literally you. said last week when Jericho needed a partner that I assume yeah. it will be Sammy Guevara. I was not state. I'm just putting my cards on the table. I was not stating that as some angle to bring Guevara back. I just assumed <laughs> that these two, I cannot even keep track of this character and where he has been and who he has turned on. And it took me like five minutes of him coming down the ring and entering to realize that this guy was in the family. Well, I mean, he he got injured like pretty quickly after the turn. You know, it was like I, I think he teamed up for like one match with the family, and then how many times has this guy turned? Uh, has it been all that much? There was like a brief flirtation with I think being a babyface during like the uh, four way right you know for the championship and... yeah the, the the stuff with Dan Lambert and that kind of uh, oh god wanted... why did you bring that up I, you know, he, I, he's I, gone through a year. lot of a lot of turns okay spent a year not thinking about about some of that yeah um it, it, listen he's he's really not established at all with the Callis family none of us even really remember so uh, this just seemed like a a late undo well. Callus is Callus never called him while he had his concussion, but he has a painting for him, and it's the family surrounding Sammy who's holding his newborn baby. And Guevara looks at this painting and says, Who told you you could put my baby on that? And Callus says, You're not mentally capable of being a parent. You're gonna need all the help you can get. Guevara brings up how people have forgotten that Hobbs beat Jericho and that Takeshta beat Kenny Omega twice because Don Callis makes it about himself. So it is not only like it, it is story that we are overlooking and forgetting 
parts, key parts of this story. Like it's it's by design that we're supposed to like have forgotten about all of this stuff. So I don't feel as bad forgetting that the man turned and blamed Doc Callis that you I forgot. Yeah, d- d- ejected it from my memory bank. So Callis is disappointed that he dropped the ball, getting hurt, out having babies, and now you can either choose this family or your other family. But if you make the wrong choice, you'll be as big a failure of a wrestler as you're about to be as a parent. And this is enough. Guevara goes after Callus. He's jumped by the family. When Jericho runs down, a light bulb literally went off above my head. And he saves Guevara. And they destroy the painting. These things were in glass cases, too, like glass frames. And they uh, they destroyed these. Do you think real glass? <laughs> look like look like it to me. It was this a, was this a sign? Well, it's a reference. Yes. Um, he destroys. There's no NDA. No, no. They can talk about this all they want. And Guevara uh, also destroys the painting. And they tease the Mega Powers handshake, but instead they hug. But only for the briefest moment, this dude in the front row, he was just at the edge of his seat. He was so happy. And then Starks and Big Bill jump them. The lights go out. Sting and Darby appear. My head is spinning. I was like, what direction are we going in? And the four are left alone in the ring. And we are getting an eight-man tag at the pay-per-view with Sting, Darby, Jericho, and Guevara against, let's do it off the top of my head. We've got uh, Big Bill, Ricky Starks. Hobbs and Kyle Fletcher. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Takeshita is odd man out. Yeah. I mean, obviously they had to pivot after Chris Jericho, or sorry, Kenny Omega was taken out. I suppose Sammy Guevara had, you know, um, had needed, was was ready to come back. And I think it makes all the sense in the world to pivot Jericho back with Sammy Guevara. Um, I don't have an issue with it. Listen, like, I don't, I don't know what being in the Don Callis family would have done for Sammy Guevara. It, 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 to be fair, I don't know what being paired with Chris Jericho would, will do with Sammy Guevara either, but I, I at least think um, it it makes a bit more sense for, for Guevara at this point. And I, I'm hoping that this is more of a temporary, you know, alliance rather than something that, that that's going to remain. Um, it, it Given that this is a bit of a band-aid solution for the Kenny Omega injury, I can't really fault them that much for it. You got Sting in there. Well, we know how AEW celebrated Boxing Day, and now we are going to give you your chance to find out what is the hot deals on Boxing Week. It is 2024, and tracking technology from advertisers, ISPs, and hackers is getting more sophisticated than many of us can understand. Something you can do to give yourself a bit more peace of mind this year is to protect your browsing by investing in a trusted VPN like NordVPN. Voted Best VPN for Privacy of 2023 by Security.org, Nord is one of the most established and reputable VPN providers in the field. NordVPN is also something I use every day to access geo-blocked online streaming services like AEW+. By far the best way of watching AEW programming commercial-free with on-demand access to AEW's entire TV archive. But perhaps the most value I've gained from using Nord has been the ability to unlock cheaper prices to online content from other parts of the world. Plus, when you sign up at nordvpn.com slash postwrestling, you get four bonus months on top of all two-year plans. That works out to $2.88 a month, so it's already paid for itself several times over. Again, $2.88 a month when you sign up at nordvpn.com slash postwrestling. Check the link in the show description. Sign up with code postwrestling, get yourself some bonus months, and let NordVPN know you found them through us. Hell of a segue, John. Excellent. Wow. You are a pro. Yeah. 
If I was such a pro, I wouldn't have my phone on silent when Way is messaging me. <laughs> we go to the back to the remarkable Renee Paquette with Roderick Strong and the Kingdom. And he's got the uh, the list of all the suspects up on the chart and can prove definitively that Hangman Page, Sean Dean, and Swerve Strickland, not the devil. But all roads lead to MJF as the culprit, and he will prove it. I I so hope after tonight's closing angle that MJF is is the devil. Like that would be the, the true just uh gap in logic that we we've all been craving. But then it was time to get to the Blue League final. Brian Danielson and Eddie Kingston. Is Eddie Kingston a bum? That was going to be the the question answered in this match. And again, we had multiple picture in picture breaks during this match and they are building things up where it's Danielson in control in the early going. Kingston selling his shoulder, manages an exploder, and then he fights to the rope after getting caught in the label lock. Kingston gets placed in the tree of woe, and Danielson just kicks him until he drops down to the mat. And we see an attempt by Danielson to suplex him off the top, but Kingston turns in midair, landing on top, and the impact is to Danielson's eye, which he starts grabbing. We come back from the break. Kingston pulls down the straps and he's telling Danielson to bring it. And they are lighting up each other with chops. Dude, Brian Danielson's chest looked like a Christmas display. It was um, every shade of um, red, maybe a little bit of green as well. Yeah, it was uh, his, his candy cane chest. OK, that he had going here. But the man comes back with a regal plex kicking away at Kingston's chest. Both men spit at one another. Danielson starts unloading, misses a drop kick in the corner, and a huge lariat is landed by Kingston. Follows with the Northern Lights bomb. Danielson kicks out. Each are missing with strikes. The Busaiku knee connects, and Kingston kicks out. And then there's the downward elbows from Danielson. And, dude, Kingston's selling. His eyes are, like, rolling back from these elbows. It was so believable that Bryce was going to wave this off. He's checking on him. It was a really, like, dramatic tease here from all all the damage he's taken. And then Danielson grabs the wrist. He's stomping him. These things look great. And when Kingston is left there laying, they think it's over, puts up the middle finger and this crowd goes nuts. And then uh, Danielson charges at him and it gets caught with the hurricane. Then a half and half suplex. Danielson responds with a roundhouse kick. Kingston manages two more hurricanes and his Kawada handed down power bomb and Kingston stacks Danielson and pins him in 22 minutes and 37 seconds with all due respect to the opening three-way dude this match was so incredible I I just mm-hmm. thought th- this was my favorite match of the tournament I just thought it was so excellent that these two had uh 22 and a half minutes and it was it was everything I think you could have asked for and a really re- like among the better TV matches I, I can recall seeing in, in a long time I think and there have been some great candidates of late much like with the G1 I I think the atmosphere of like you know the 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 tournament coming down to the very end and 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 there being elevated stakes tends to create like more significant crowd reactions and given that they tend to give you more bigger performances with more time allotted for the matches I mean most of the time on within the G1 the shows the matches that end up stealing the entire tournament come towards the end and I thought it was no different here um Brian Danson has really had like an incredible few weeks here in this tournament. The man started in, on December 2nd. So it's really been what, like, I don't know, a little over, over three weeks. And every single match he's had has has been pretty damn great. And let's remember the man has done it all largely with one eye. I don't know how. Um, 
I don't know how the eye patch stays on. First of all, you know, like this thing is, it's just, it's either like really like it's sewn on his head maybe, or, or just like really, really well, well attached. Um, He really has been outstanding throughout. And I thought he was outstanding tonight, both leading into the match, uh, playing a great heel with his promos um, from the last match, carrying the storylines about, uh, you know, Eddie Kingston being a bum, setting up a great comeback underdog story for Kingston here. Outstanding match, great comebacks, great heel work, great story. He had seven matches this month. And mm-hmm. on top of the Continental Classic, he had that great match of Final Battle, the fight without honor. Yes. Well, this month. Mm-hmm. So what a December uh, for this guy. And now at least he gets the pay-per-view off and then he's off to the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. Yeah. He um, in a week, you know, so um, and he had time to talk about his Sean Kemp shoes on the Bellas podcast. Could you believe that? <laughs> I mean. Clearly, two people that knew what was up in 1996. Brian Danielson on the Bellas podcast talked about his favorite gift he ever received for Christmas. And one year, um, he didn't grow up with much money, yet his parents got him Sean Kemp shoes. So uh, maybe he could buy a pair of Sean Kemp shoes if he beats Kazuchika Okada at the Tokyo Dome. Oh, my God. Year. If he walked down the, the, the ramp with those. Uh, Sean Kemp you shoes. know, the deep cut, Okada comes down with them. Okada seems more like a maybe a Penny Hardaway guy. Yeah, perhaps. Hmm. Moxley comes down after the match and he says that he, the only thing he has ever asked of Eddie Kingston is for 100% to be given. You're someone that thinks the world is against you, but it seems a lot of people love you. And a lot of people are going to love you on on Saturday and they deserve your maximum effort. But the problem is I know I'm better than you. And you know that you can't beat me. You've already lost. You're already making excuses. The last time, a few years ago, I let you die a warrior's death, but you're not going to get that favor from me this time. And if you want to become a triple crown holder like all of your heroes, you're going to need to earn every inch. And before Moxley can wrap it up, Kingston grabs the mic. He's been holding it in this whole tournament. He has been staying. He has been trying to control his anger, but he just lets it out here on Moxley. He says, not you're not going to come here and teach me like your young boy, bitch, Yuda. I'm your senpai. You're lucky I let you breathe. Yeah, I hate myself more than anyone else, but I'm going to push you. A few a while back, I was going to quit AEW, but you said I can't quit because we need to shape the younger guys. I will give you everything that I have. And that's my outline. And then the credits came up and that was the end of Dynamite. One of the best <laughs> episodes of the year from AEW. Perfect mm. ending to the show. Honestly, maybe oh. maybe the show would have been better off if it just no, cut it off. It right would here. have been significantly better if this was the final image that we had I, on this show. This showdown was was just so great between these two. It was a type of showdown where you could kind of tell, hey, these guys were just going to go out there. They were going to, to completely wing what they were going to say with the complete trust of everybody in the back because they, I mean, who can you rely on but these two to deliver like organic feeling, live, real sounding promos? Not only did they, you know, so they've kept Eddie Kingston and, and John Moxley pretty much apart for like a long, long time. They've had interactions via the BCC, but their grudge has never really kind of been like pried into like it has been tonight. And, and maybe that was for, because they wanted to hold off until this specific moment. Um, But they, in a short amount of time got into so much, you know, their history together. You had a, um, basically like, you know, telling you what the stakes are here for Eddie Kingston. This is a story for Eddie Kingston. He has to beat the person that, um, 
is better than him, quite frankly. And he has to prove to the world that he is better than John Moxley and that he's capable of beating him. And not only did we get that setup, not only did we get a bit of history, we got a bit of Eddie Kingston vulnerability as well. You know, him talking about hating himself more than he hates anybody else in the world. I mean, it's you never want to hear somebody say that because I'm sure there's a lot of truth to it. But it's also part of the reason why we love Eddie Kingston, you know, a tough guy like that on the surface, being willing to admit a, a very real human, you know, feeling that a lot of us might might have gone through at some point. So it was in a few minutes, they, they did so much here to set up this final. Yeah, I and I think, listen, for all that we have talked about, about the difficulties of booking a tournament like this, of making it all make sense. Like I thought this was a really great tournament and not just for match quality. There were so many stories with, within this tournament, there's stories coming out of it as, as small as Jay lethal going over, over five in the, in the tournament. And right up until this Eddie Kingston uh, through line throughout the entire thing, Danielson's quest to, uh, get get to the final here. We got some really interesting matches. I mean, they were generally the highlight of the shows mm-hmm. throughout. I thought that this was a really, really well-booked uh, tournament overall. I think we all knew the wrestling was going to be the least of everyone's worries. But this also requires luck of not having someone that gets hurt that just throws everything out the window. And they were able to get by. Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. I thought like the... The, a G one's not easy to book. Even no, like, it's you know, incredibly complex. If you just sit down, like just just do your picks every year, and imagine mm-hmm. that you have to structure this to all peak, and that your audience has to get into these stories too, so that they're yeah. they can understand the stories, and they're they're wanting what you're leading them towards. I should say maybe a round robin tournament is is you know maybe anybody could could book it, but to build build one with the sort of um standard of the G one in mind and constant comparisons being made to, to the G one is incredibly difficult. And I would say um at least like towards the end, I think the point scenarios were interesting enough to get you invested. I thought the outcomes at the end of the tournament were unpredictable enough. Um. And and the narrative throughout, I thought, was sensical enough to make the whole thing feel like one very solid, well-thought-out piece. Um, like you said, John, you know, getting a lot of people over in the process, not just the winner at the end. So no, do you, what, what do you see for it next year? Do you see any changes? Do you see them sticking to the same format? And um, what sort of talents do you think are sort of like, you know, ideal for a, a, a tournament like this? Well, I think the obvious one everyone is going to look towards is, are, are you going to get a Will Ospreay and you're going to get mm-hmm. six matches out of him in, in a month? I think by next year, they can make it a big deal when they just make a big deal out of announcing the participants because yeah. it was so, like, it was what, on on YouTube, the mm-hmm. afternoon of. I would like to see them actually announce the schedule of matches. So, like, I don't see who that harms, that you know weeks in advance what cities are getting which matches, you're... Yeah you're going to have big, like, we know it'll be big matches. Um, You could have an Osprey, you could have an Omega, like you can certainly like have significant turnover of the talents. It doesn't have to be too many repeats next year. It can be some, Um, those would be kind of my two things, but just make, you've now established it, that the audience is going to take it seriously as something more than just another tournament in a company that does a lot of them. Like, I do think they did a great job of establishing this as like our big year end, type of you know round robin tournament so those would be just some of the little things i would like to see change but i had no issue with like the point system and i i don't think you have to tinker with it too significantly 
I agree. I think one of the things that really worked about it was the fact that um, they were so sort of a strict about not having any DQs tonight being the exception. But I mean, even tonight in the three way, I thought it was it's been established in wrestling that you're allowed to use weapons and, and, and all that. So I had no real issue with it. Um, I, I It's just really kind of been like a great sort of counter to what has been a pretty sort of um criticized, heavily criticized, you know, devil storyline that's been going on throughout the rest of the show. Yeah, I dude, to be honest, like we, we will look back at like the best and worst of the year. But when it comes to like AEW's booking that I'm sure is going to be in a lot of people's focus over the next like week or so, I think this is one of the, the stronger booked elements of AEW all year was this Continental Classic. We'll see if they st- stick the landing. I mean, it, it's it's pretty obvious that it's got to be Kingston winning, right? You know, just given the story they've set up, given the fact that like Moxley is about to go to New Japan and compete for another championship which he might not win um does it it, like is it pretty much a lock that eddie kingston comes out of this being the the triple crown champ i don't say anything's a lock i mean that that is a logical story to get to of kingston winning i think that will be the biggest moment on on the show quite frankly this this feels bigger than the title match to me could they fly kawada in to to present him with oh my uh, gosh can you imagine no they'll put him in the front row and he loses God, don't bring your family, Eddie Kingston. Caps off 2023, the yeah. year of the uh, family and friends in the front row. It is let's New York. Be- I mean, let's let's remember that. Oh well. yeah, like the the location is is certainly mm-hmm. not lost on people. It's gonna be Eddie. Come on. So they're finally ready for the sit down with Christian Cage. Adam Copeland just storms in, attacking Christian Cage, and we get this big brawl. They go out into the hallway. And it's like a where's Waldo of all these performers that are getting involved. Kevin Matthews is towering over every single person. And uh, they did a fine brawl here with Copeland keeping breaking free and getting towards Christian Cage, who um, what, what a waste of a night for Christian Cage. Just wait all night and then you get attacked and the guy finally shows up. Didn't Maybe think that was true. They should have had the security ready. Wouldn't this have been a logical uh, retaliation by Adam Copeland? Would this have been a logical retaliation? I mean, you, you thought mean? this guy was just going to come in and sit down and be all polite. I, I mean, I, I, I never I agreed to so. no contact. Tony Khan forgot to get their 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 word. Right, right. Maybe he should have opted for a satellite, you know, face to face or a Zoom call, perhaps. But I, I was maybe a little bit disappointed just kind of seeing no, this. No, no brawling allowed. They they have to sign an NDA. <laughs> yeah, no brawling allowed. Um. I was maybe a little bit disappointed just because like when they promoted the segment, I thought we were going to get some really great promo battles between the two in a sit down setting. Right. Because I think these two just have a lot more, you know, to give in that in that sense. But I thought this was like a, an approach that I thought worked well, too. Like, it's realistic to believe that the next time Adam Copeland saw Christian Cage, he would just want to lay hands on him. So they opted for that. I, I mean, I thought it was fine. Chris Statlander, Sky Blue. We got Stokely Hathaway on commentary, who is trying to recruit Chris Statlander. And we also got the stat that Chris Statlander, Chris's stat, that Mm -hmm. she has not been pinned in an AEW ring in 19 months. Right. Which felt like one of those holograph things that someone just looked this up uh, because she was about to lose in an AEW ring for the first time in 19 months. So granted, a lot of that time was was uh, due to her injury, but still very impressive. And and almost the fact that you kind of wish that they made a bigger deal out of when she was champion or even when she was like not champion before before the tonight. Yeah, exactly. Midway through the match. Yeah. So. Anyway, um, that match was fine. They were certainly suffering from the fact that this was late in the show. And I think they had come off the two big matches that had been promoted on the show. 
Blue tries to counter a powerbomb and rolls through, and then Chris just deadlifts her and hits the powerbomb for a two-count. And Sky Blue pretends to have an issue with her eye, so Aubrey is distracted, allowing Julia Hart to nail Statlander on the turnbuckle. And then Sky Blue hits a code blue off the turnbuckle, uh, which looked very good, and pins Statlander, ending the streak at 19 months losing on AEW programming. A bit of a, a bit of a shame, uh, you know, with with a 19 month streak that might have, you know, felt like a bigger deal um, when it was finally ending than than just something like this. Uh, but I I think they just want to establish, you know, this uh, black and blue connection between um, Sky Blue and, and Julia Hart. Can you s- explain to me exactly like what what's been going on with Sky Blue? So she gets infected. She resists turning heel okay like remember she she spat, spat a blue mess on julia hart but then she turns heel with her anyway she stopped taking the antibodies right so the corruption let did it, work she's let it consume her now and it's, it's turned her into the darkness okay um I'm, I'm not as as high when we have to get into like the particulars of this story, but the, the audience has definitely gotten into Julia Hart. I like the team a lot. I, I like I like seeing Julia Hart and, and Sky Blue together. And I think this is just sort of like a refreshing of like, you know, personality and character for Sky Blue is is making her feel like a bigger deal in and of itself. Blue continues attacking Statlander and she's got a dragon sleeper applied when Willow runs down. And Statlander's just thinking, like, you couldn't have showed up like five minutes before when my uh, I was getting double teamed in this match. My streak was on the line. And then finally, St- uh, Hart and Sky Blue exit the ring. They're staring down Chris Statlander and Willow Nightingale. And then Abaddon appears, to which the announcers remind us, yeah, it's Abaddon that's challenging Julia Hart at the pay-per-view. I was like, oh, right, of course way too much going on in this one and the fact was at the end it's like oh yeah this is the title challenger she's here she just like basically came out to remind you that it's abaddon yeah she i mean abaddon really has been like a collision exclusive type of you know story that you, you kind of would would have to follow through through that um i imagine you'll get a lot more of in relation to this match on rampage you know it just might be the odd match that they're kind of saving to build on that show Renee interviewed Ruby Soho and Soraya. Ruby's facing Marina Shafir on on Rampage. So Soraya said, your birthday's coming up next month, so I've got you a present. It's Harley Cameron to be your helper. And then Ruby takes a phone call from Angela Parker, so she leaves. And then Harley Cameron, who is a cutilus, pulls out a butcher's knife. And uh, Mm -hmm. I have nothing more to add to this. Yeah, I don't know. I I must be missing some context about this one, too. Um, Like... I guess they um they want to show that she she's crazy. Um what is she helping her with? I guess belaying, moving with a knife? Yeah, maybe, you know, you've got to um open boxes. boxes and... You know, you're packing boxes. No, you got to open them once you get to the new home. Oh, you're right. Okay. No. All that tape doesn't just open itself. All right. Anyway, Rampage on Friday. We've got Soho and Shafir and Ready in Top Flight against Best Friends. Matt Seidel challenging Wheeler Yuta for the pure title. And we will hear from Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. What's he going to talk about? Anything, John. You didn't sign an NDA. He could, he's free. Live yeah. mic. Well, pre-tape mic. 
And then we got the update for the pay-per-view. Among the matches added, we've got the the eight-man tag added. The pre-show, which they are advertising the pre-show to start at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. They're promoting a 90-minute pre-show. Well, like like last time. Wow, that's I think long. the last time they did this, too, the first 30 was just talking. Yeah. Just like video packages. And stuff. They're only yeah. advertising two matches, so I'm imagining it's not going to be the full 90 minutes here. But we have a 20-man battle royal for a TNT title shot, and mm-hmm. Hook against Yuta will be on the pre-show for the FTW title. With FTW rules. You know what that means, yep. John? Real glass. On the pre-show. <laughs> You're right. And then, this felt like, uh, uh, well, first of all, uh, they plugged FTR winning the ESPN and PWI Tag Team of the Year Award. Hmm, would you have given it to him this year? FTR has I'm trying to think back. Maybe in the conversation, yes. They okay. they had some really great matches on, on collision this year. Mm-hmm. I haven't done my picks yet, so I'm not, okay. not gonna state if yeah. I'm gonna go with hmm. FTR. Because I would say... imagine that uh, our awards will be acknowledged. Uh, no. <laughs> Cause I like for sure, like I think I think I chose them for 2023. Anyway, that stuff coming up. Well, we got like uh, minutes to go in this show. MJF and Samoa Joe to take on the Devil's Masked Men for the ROH tag titles. I mean, if this image doesn't just uh, change your plans for Wednesday night to be in front of your television. Joe doesn't come out. MJF is waiting for him. And we see Joe down and out in the back. He's holding his knee. So MJF says he's going to go solo. And he's got a big brace on his shoulder. It's taped. And he is trying to unmask the guys. He's destroying the putty patrol and then goes for the mask. When a third masked man comes from underneath the ring, nailing his shoulder with a pipe and then hits a heat seeker on Max. And then this uh, this masked man tries and I emphasize tries to use the rope for leverage. He was having quite the battle keeping his legs on the rope and they pin MJF. One of his rare jobs in this company is to one of the devil's masked men in a minute 49. So we have new ROH tag champions. Joe hobbles down with a chair, clearing the ring as the devil appears on the screen and the line on the screen reads pleasure doing business with you as Joe nails him from behind with the chair. The announcers make it clear. He is working with the devil, not that he is the devil and it's a muscle buster on the bad shoulder. And Joe holds up the title belt to go into world's end. Mm -hmm. So let's rewind. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah. I, I want to do I this. Watch, I watched this once. I want to try. Not, not high on this closing I, angle. I, I just. I, I want to do my best, and please help help us chat room to like recap like the 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 sort of Samojo MJF storyline up until this point, just to kind of see like if you know like if if it's if it's sens- sensical and if it's uh, at least maybe a bit more airtight. Um. So Joe, um, loses to MJF and then wants a rematch. And um, he tries to, you know, ask MJF for a rematch and, and MJF just kind of blows him off. And then Adam Cole gets injured. So Samoa Joe, I think, was the one to suggest to MJF, I'll I'll help you if you give me your uh, a rematch afterwards. Yes. And then after Joe helps him beat, um, helps MJF retain the championship, um, Joe says, I'm going to keep protecting you. Just because I, I I want to protect my championship match, yes, and that led to just a series of uh, you know interactions with with the masked men. Joe, I guess, um, pretending to, you know, fight them off. Um, Joe pretended to get injured tonight, and then revealed himself to be working with the masked men so he could injure MJF. Um, 
So what's to stop NJF from saying, I'm hurt. I can't make the match on Saturday. You didn't protect me, Joe. Well, that that's a bit of a, I guess he's, he's a, he's assuming that his ego will not allow him to pull out of the match in Long Island of all places. So maybe that is it. I will say, because I was critical of this at full gear was the fact that Joe uh, left the building and did not protect MJF on Mm. that show where Adam Cole was going to go and wrestle for Max. And we were questioning like, why wouldn't Joe protect Max? Because now it still is not quite the logic because Max still needed to win this match and keep the title for Joe to get his title shot. So he was still risking that by not helping Max, yeah, but that it doesn't further make sense. injured Max. Um, I don't enjoy this, this storyline. I think it has gotten extremely convoluted that people are holding on to. I think just if they have the novelty of this mystery being revealed, which feels like it is uh, still, um, I don't know. They've given you no tease of when, when this ending is coming. I think like whodunits can work in pro wrestling um, at their best. They, you know, elicit sort of like a, an interesting guessing game that, that gives you a reason to tune in every single week. I, I don't like AW's um, attempt at it here, especially in like a main title scene. I don't like mystery men that look like extras from a student production I might have been working on when I was 21. That's part of it too, John, you know, um, but just, I think it's just so counter to what your AEW fan wants out of this particular product, especially when it's done not very well. I, I you heard the reaction, this was the glaring contrast on this show. Yeah. You heard the reaction to this reveal and it was pretty much silent from this crowd as they went off the air, which, um, which leaves you asking, was this worth it? You know, like this was a grand plan to build a Samoa Joe versus MJF with this big reveal at the end to try push push the heat over the 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 uh, the roof here. And I I don't think it achieved that. I was as interested in this match as I I was before. And I, if anything, this might have even colored it a bit negatively. Um, I I'd I'd say it's it's low it's lower coming off of this for me. Um, again, as I said, I feel like Moxley and Kingston feels like the bigger match on on Saturday, and mm. yeah, we we will see. Like this is one that I mean, what this pay per view does have going for it is like first of all, they have dedicated a lot of television time to MJF and Samoa Joe, so there is there's going to be people that are into this match that are into the story, but at the same time. You know, you have you have Sting on this pay-per-view. You have uh, Adam Copeland and, and Christian Cage. You've got the Continental Classic final. Um, like, again, it, it's a very good card for an AEW show. But I think this, I just thought the, the go-home angle was a very deflating one and not one that at the end of it, I was thinking, man, I cannot wait to get to Saturday for, for this match or this angle to continue that it feels it's going at a snail's pace that I just don't sense there's an audience that is just that I'm the minority that is not, that it's not connecting with. I think we're very much in the majority. I, I, I think so too. Compare maybe this reaction to our excitement for the interaction Swerve and MJF had last week. And it's not down to the talent. We've seen some Joe and MJF have incredible in ring, you know, promo segments, but it's the tone of this and it's the storyline. Like we want, good back and forth i i think i could beat you or you really think you could beat me prove it you know such and such i playing so much with this sort of like you know um 
mystery, like hard to believe in stuff. It has certainly been a, a turnoff and I'm, it's a little disappointing that it, they already, they continue to like dive so deep into it. And um, do you think we'll get a result? Like could Saturday be the end of the storyline? Now let's also make mention that there have been no mentions on air whatsoever about um, the bidding war of 2024 and the end of MJF's contract. The only time we've heard about it was through an interview that MJF did with sports illustrated, I believe. Uh, yeah, and I know a recent interview that he brought up yeah. where he basically He's maintaining that he has not signed. Yeah. But it's not certainly not a part of AEW story. And I suppose if it was reality, well, what reason would AEW have to mention it, but what are the chances of the story wrapping up or let's extend um, to the idea of a, of an MJF title loss uh, on Saturday. I mean, you, you can, you cannot uh, discount that idea. I think it would be, I, there's I think no would, way they would reveal the the devil and have MJF oh, it, it, lose and then not follow up with MJF in the new year. That 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 just makes no sense. The I mean, it would be over. monumentally insane when you have lined this guy up literally with programs for months and months and months. Um, yeah, that I just I, I wouldn't see what the value would be of, of taking the title off him unless you were in some kind of situation where you had to. Um, nor would I reveal this devil. Like at least squeeze a buy rate out of promising that you're going to see the devil if you buy this pay-per-view and they've done nothing to lead you to that. So I think it would be just an empty reveal. You'd be revealing it for a pop. And as this continues, boy, they better have the most amazing idea for who is this devil, because I would say 90% of the candidates are going to be met with, with groans. And who are the 10% John? I'm curious. Cause I don't know if it's even that much, like there's, there, there's really nobody that I feel could be satisfying enough so, at this point. People have suggested Jim Cornette, and it was like it's not going to be Jim Cornette. But it was like, how would that make sense? Why? Like what? Why, why would? You, what reason would Jim Cornette have? Maybe it's Stephen P. New. My goodness, yeah. Well, the minions are going to have to be revealed at some point too. So yeah, I it's mean, it's Cornette's listeners who are the the vast men, the, the NDAs, the cult, so, the cult. Yeah. All right. We have a second show to do. So we are going to oh, jump yeah. on to feedback Sorry. and uh, and get everyone's thoughts on this show. So let us move on over to the forum. And we're going to start off with Muggin. Eddie Kingston's comeback has been the best story of the Continental Classic. Prior to this, he lost to Danielson two years ago and in the C2. It was the first time I've rooted against Brian since the last time he shared a ring with Kingston. Hint, hint. It was the match of the night by far. Avenging the two losses to Moxley during COVID in Long Island to become the Triple Crown King. There will be the magic. Three will be the magic number. Word to Della Soul. All right. Very nice. Thank you, Muggin. He could not write Muggin, and I would know exactly who wrote that. <laughs> hey, we have a few super chats to get to from our viewers live at youtube.com slash post wrestling. We are live after every Raw, after after every Dynamite, and after every SmackDown in the Post Wrestling Cafe exclusively on Friday nights for members. But let's first go to Jake Allenar, who sends $2 to say, Aces and Eights is now better than I remembered. Okay, let's not get crazy, Jake. Come on. This is, this is not that bad mm. yet. It's it, it brings people back visually to aces and eights, I, I would say. Uh, we go to Maroa12004, who sends $10. Thank you for that uh, support, Maroa. He says, or they say, it was a great show with a bad ordering of segments. Devil stuff should have started, followed by three-way. Everything else in the same position with Danielson versus Eddie closing and Mox and Eddie promo after. I don't disagree um, because it's the main event of the pay-per-view and because it's a world title program. I think they felt like this was the appropriate close to the show, but I wouldn't disagree at all 
Um, ending with Kingston and Mox certainly would have felt like a more hotter end to the show. And I think you'd also internally have to have the belief that this angle is not clicking. I I don't think that they have that belief. I think they are pushing this. This is the hardest thing they are pushing by leaps and bounds. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it, to me, it was just such a different feeling I had at the end of that Moxley Kingston segment versus the end of the show. And the feeling you should have had was what you had coming off Moxley and Kingston, where had that ended, boy, I'm buying that pay-per-view this second. Yes, yes. Thank you, Marwa, for for the uh, super chat. Let's go to Andy, who sends 200 rupees. Thank you, Andy. He says, Eddie overcoming Dragon was incredible, and the interaction with Mox sold me on their match, which has me giddy with excitement. The Callus fam and Devil Angles were poor on me for sitting through it. Well, you're a dedicated viewer. You want to watch everything, I understand. Um, so, listen, like, I'm sure the, like, it feels at least pretty unanimous from what I've seen in the chat room from you and I and from these super chats. So, I'm curious to see how they pivot, but they haven't really pivoted that much with this double story. You know, I, I really didn't have the biggest issue with with like the callous segment, like that audience when Guevara and Jericho reunited, like for all of my uh, misgivings on where, where everyone was slated, like that crowd reacted in the exact way they would have wanted to. And by the end, you, you got the surprise of sting and Darby and a match that comes out of it. So I, I really didn't have the big issue with, with, with that segment at all um beyond pointing out like s- some some glaring issues i would say that are bigger problems when we're, we're bringing up you know the fact that you know you just have Takeshita and hobbs and we're almost calling attention to the fact that like we've kind of missed the boat off the- these big wins that these guys ha- have had and now that's mm-hmm. being like called out let's continue with forum.postwrestling.com and andrew from cape Breton says interesting show tonight despite the few matches they were heavy on the wrestling with the two league finals matches going pretty long i don't have any issues with the main event either it gets the roh tag titles off of mjf and we will likely know who they are at the world's end pay-per-view um are you sure do we know that do we do we suspect that we'll know at least the 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 masked men uh, after the pay-per-view there's no title to, be like to believe that i mean yeah. like you, you could but I, I i would save that reveal to build up something like to just do it for no reason like yeah you could but yeah there's no need to he says the don Callis segment i didn't like sammy brought up the fact that they didn't capitalize on hobbs and Takeshita's wins and it shines a light on how AEW does have follow-up issues that and throwing sammy back with jericho as if it were groundhog day all over again jericho i don't think has looked the best this week either with him making a fool of himself on christmas morning imagine santa coming down the chimney and seeing the state of chris at that point i'm still looking forward to world's end hopefully the end of this double angle and they could just be a heel faction no more putty patrol we need lord zed goldar and rita repulsa Next is Alex, who points out a few facts for us. World's End will feature Andrade's first and only AEW pay-per-view match of 2023 and Rio's first pay-per-view singles match in over four years. Kingston against Brian Danielson was my highlight of the night, capping off one of my favorite wrestling trilogies. A close second was seeing Harley Harley Cameron gleefully brandish a knife for unknown reasons. Do any of you have a favorite trilogy, wrestling or otherwise? Yeah, go with otherwise, Way. So just any set of three... Um, in existence that have happened that were linked to each other Mm, okay Um, back to the future even 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 taking the third one with it um yeah let's go with that sure do you have one it's it's too late and i'm I'm looking at the time let's go to brian from new jersey who uh, who um yes who says i thought the two league finals were quite strong with danielson and kingston going the way i thought it would i thought the show overall was enjoyable but boy did it end with a wet fart 
Very felt very rushed. Didn't make me more excited for MJF and Joel. Joe possibly less excited. Gave me Russo vibes. That all said, I think the pay per view looks good on paper. Omega being on the DL, leading to this more loaded eight man tag involving the tag champs Sting and the reunited Lace Sex Gods, loading up the star power on World's End to make up for the absence of him, Adam Cole, Bucks, and presumably Brian Danielson with Wrestle Kingdom coming up. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the last one here is Jordan from the Bronx. The Continental Classic is definitely a success and should be done annually. All of the matches felt important and the quality of wrestling was fantastic. Five weeks with 12 wrestlers was a great way to allow guys who normally don't, who normally wouldn't have focus to show what they could do. I like Mox and Eddie with Eddie winning in New York to finally get over the one hump he's never been able to conquer in AEW. Conversely, the double storyline has felt stretched thin. I feel like MCU fatigue in that there's major plans ahead that seem exciting, but the events between the introduction and the reveal have not been that interesting. Acknowledging that the Adam Cole injury was a big hit on the story, there just isn't enough to keep me interested beyond a let's get it over with approach. It's to the point where whomever the devil is might end up being a disappointment. And finally, how many guys with cowboy hats does AEW have on their roster? The the Copeland Christian Brawl was a fun game of name that wrestler. I noticed Brian Keith and the Von Erics. Perhaps they're getting closer looks. Yes, they were among them there. So there you have it. Speaking of the Von Erics, we're going to be chatting about the Iron Claw just minutes away. So we're going to say goodbye on the YouTube channel. But for all members at postwrestlingcafe.com, you can go flip on over because in a couple of minutes, we are going to go live and share our thoughts on the Iron Claw. So thank you to everybody for joining us. Thank you to Wei Ting for manning the ship and keeping everything running on time. And we are going to be back uh, after the double shot with a review of World's End on saturday night there is no smackdown to review there's no collision course this week either so we will be getting back to our normal schedule next week uh but the next time we'll be speaking with you on this channel will be saturday night after world's end so that is it we will speak with you on the double shot say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill